<laughs> You'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. We're going to continue walking our way through the book of Exodus. And as we look at the book of Exodus, we remember where we come from, that, that God is revealing himself to his people. He's made for himself a people. And now we're at Mount Sinai. And, and Moses has been up on the mountain now with God, and he's hearing directly from God as God is giving him everything he wants for his people. He's revealing himself. He's revealing his will. He's revealing his law. He's now given a lot of what it looks like for him to come and dwell among his people in the tabernacle. And we looked over the Advent season at a lot of this furniture in the tabernacle. And today we come to the last piece of furniture within the actual tent of the tabernacle. And I just want to remind you, as we celebrate our 250th year as a church, we can and should reflect on how God has shown himself faithful over and over and over again. We can and should reflect on all the many uniquenesses that we hold as the people of God, because God has made us into this body of believers as a church and, and how God has formed us and equipped us for every good work to which he's calling us. We, we are the people of God made by God for a specific purpose. And that same reality was true of the people of Israel there in the wilderness, that God was making them into a unique people, a, a set apart people for himself. They were formed by God, called out of slavery and bondage, provided for by God's own hand, given his word and his covenant, living in the light of his presence. There, God Coming down to them, now they're building the tabernacle so that he would dwell among them. That great and greatest of all of the promises of the covenant, that God would come and dwell with his people. If you remember in the, all the furniture that we've looked at in the tabernacle and the courtyard, we've already seen this giant oven, this like grill out there, this giant place where all of the, all the burnt offerings would be brought, this altar of sacrifice there in the courtyard of the tabernacle. We've seen the holy mercy seat of God, the ark of the covenant where God would come and dwell there among his people. He would come and meet with his people. We have we've seen the table of showbread there demonstrating God's reconciliation of his people to himself that he he communes with them. The lampstand there in the holy place reminding us of the light of God's grace and his presence with his people. If you go out into the courtyard, you remember all of the beautiful sights from the bronze to the tapestries to all of the multicolored uh threads everywhere, even to the the beauty of the, the high priest's garments, everything pointing to the beauty and the holiness of God, this, the gold in the tent to the silver around the bottom to the bronze everywhere. And this beautiful backdrop, we have to remember, though, as beautiful as it was and, and as overwhelmingly glorious as it was, was also, was also the backdrop to something very violent. There's a lot of violence going on as well. There's a violent reality there happening in the courtyard. Sacrifice after bloody sacrifice being made. Morning and evening, the, the smell of smoke, the smell of blood, the smell of sacrifice there in the courtyard over and over and over again. Reminding the people of their sin and their need for salvation. Even the priests needing to be covered in the blood. Even the priests needing to be atoned for. The priests were, were smelling of smoke and blood and sacrifice all the time. Can't, and, and all of this was a reminder to the people of their spiritual need, their spiritual death. As they, as they were witnessing death and smelled like death in the courtyard, they were reminded of their need because of their spiritual death. Smells, they, they kind of evoke 
all kinds of emotions, don't they? Like smell, smells are powerful, right? Yet some are really pleasant, some not so pleasant. Some of you have small children and you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have husbands and know what I'm talking about, right? We, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that smells really do bring to, to our minds memories, right? Maybe it's an apple pie. Maybe it's the smell of a new car. Maybe it's the smell of the, the pine you know, pine straw. When, when I was a kid, there were, there were all kinds of smells. I can remember my grandparents' house. There's a certain smell to Target, right? It's like the mixture of popcorn, coffee, and like unpacking stuff, like packing tape. It's weird, but there's a smell, and it's a Target smell, right? That smells tell you where you are. They tell you what's going on. There's a comfort to them. There can also be an off-putting reality to them. But there's a smell that is inside this tent of meeting, this tabernacle, inside this holy place, that if you were a priest, this would be a smell that would forever be in your memory. Every time you smelled it, it was a unique smell that you only smelled when you were inside the tent of meeting, inside this holy place. And it would be the most precious smell to you. And today we want to look at this. It's the smell of the incense in the holy place, the smell of the altar of incense. So look at chapter 30 of Exodus, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll look at verses 34 through 38 as well. God says, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold. It's top and around its side and its horns and shall make a molding of gold around it. All of this sounds familiar, right? All the furniture has been acacia wood covered in gold. And then he goes on, he says in verse four, you shall make two golden rings for it. So it should be carried right under its molding on two opposite sides of it. You shall make them and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. This is not a very big Altar. This is a small altar there in the holy place, but it's made just like everything else, holy unto the Lord, set apart to the Lord. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. So you have to pay attention to this. It's not so much about the, the form of the actual table. It's where it's placed in its function. It is going to be placed right there in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the mercy seat of God, where God is going to come and dwell and meet with his people. It's going to be the closest piece of furniture to the Holy of Holies, to the most holy place, just outside of the curtain. It's going to be so close to God's presence that it's right in front of him. And then verse 7, he says, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. Remember when he has to go in in the morning and evening and make sure that the lamps are lit, make sure the lamps are ready to go. He's supposed to also burn this incense. Verse 8, and when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. It's always going to be smelling like this incense. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Verse 10, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Look forward to verse 34 there in chapter 30. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti and onica 
and galbanum. I don't know what those are. People haven't been able to figure out what they are. Like you, you can't reproduce this in a lot of ways. Sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from his people. One of the things we've seen very plainly in all of what God is revealing in the tabernacle and in his law is that worship is at the heart of God's revelation of himself to his people. His people were made to worship him. They came to the mountain to worship him. And he is telling them how he wants to be worshipped. From worshipping the one true God in the one true way to the ordination and the work and the sanctification and set apart nature of the priests. To all of the sacrifices. Worship is the central theme of God's revelation to his people. And it's the same for us today. We are to be people who love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is an act of worship. Worship is at the heart of who we are. God is revealing the plans of the altar of incense in the middle of all of this. And it's not by accident that this is the last piece of furniture that he describes within the tent. He's already talked about his presence in the Holy of Holies at the right at the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat. He's talked about the table of showbread. and He's talked about the lamppost. He's talked about now this big oven outside where all the sacrifices are going to be made. And he's talked about the priests and all that they're supposed to be and do. And now he says, now get to worshiping. This is the work. This is the work of the priest, that they would come before me in this act of worship. This is where God would meet with his people. This is the closest that any priest would be other than the high priest. The high priest once a year would go inside the most holy place. This altar of incense would be the closest any priest would get to the presence of God. Separated only by the curtain of the most holy place. Imagine being a priest. This is quite an honor to be able to be the one who would come and stand before the holy God. The altar was made just like all the other furnishings. Acacia wood overlaid with gold. Rings with poles so it could be carried. All of these things we've seen before. But just like the table of showbread that was all about the function, not the form, that's the same thing here. The altar itself, what we learned, is it was for burning incense. That's pretty straightforward, right? Verse 1 tells us the altar was for burning incense. Can you put that up on the screen for them? You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. So the purpose, the purpose was burning incense, and we'll get to kind of the meaning of that in just a few moments. But this was all about an act of worship that was happening on this table. The table was just a vehicle for worship. The altar was for burning incense and burning it continually. The altar was for burning incense continually. Look at verses 7 and 8. You'll see it there pretty plainly. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. This is a continual offering of incense. The sweet smelling aroma was to basically be nonstop before the Lord. 
morning and evening, rising before the Lord, an act of worship that would be sweet-smelling to God at all times and remind the priests themselves that they, they were only before God because of his mercy. They were only allowed into his presence because of his mercy. The altar was for burning incense uniquely. Like you didn't burn other things. You didn't make other sacrifices on this altar. This wasn't a normal altar where things are being sacrificed, where doves and goats and calves are being sacrificed. You're only to burn incense on this altar. It wasn't even a real altar in that sense because no real sacrifice is being made there. But it is linked to the big altar outside. It's linked to the big altar outside. And now all of that smoke we're seeing now brings a sweet smelling. All the smoke of death now has a sweet smelling aroma of life inside. And this sweet smelling aroma of life, he says in verse 9, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it. Don't, don't, don't make up your own mix, right? Don't, don't add pepper instead of salt, right? Don't get the proportions wrong. If you're not a big fan of one of the different spices, you don't get to substitute. This is, this is not for any other incense. In fact, it's not for a burnt offering, he says, or a grain offering, and you don't pour a drink offering on it. Nothing else was to be burned on this altar. Sacrifices were to be made outside, not inside. The only entrance into this sanctuary, this holy place, were the sacrifices made outside the holy place. You didn't get in. Unless there was sacrifice made outside. Getting into the presence of the Lord, coming before the holy God of the universe, was secured by the atonement being made outside. You didn't make atonement inside. And this is going to be really important for us to understand. If you if you mess this up and you come before the Lord without atonement being made for you, or you worship God in a way that he doesn't want, there's a penalty to be penalty to be paid and in leviticus we actually read of nadar and abihu actually they find out in leviticus that if you come before the lord and you utilize the altar of incense in the wrong way they were struck down worshiping god is serious business and this altar was was meant to be uniquely used for incense and and not only that the altar was for burning unique incense so not only was it burning incense uniquely but it was for burning unique incense like you didn't get but this was god's blend like when you go to starbucks right and you smell all the smells there's like the different blends this is god's blend of incense okay this is this is not yankee candle choose whichever one you want this is god's blend of incense and he determines what he wants it to smell like he determines what smells good to him Oh, we, we spend so much time trying to please God. He's already told us how to please him. His name is Jesus. Trust him. And he's pleased because he's pleased with Jesus. But here in verses 37 and 38, you see, then the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. Don't go putting this on like perfume and wearing it. Don't think that you can make yourself sweet smelling to the Lord without the atonement Outside the tent. You don't get to come before God uh, on your own. You come to God on the basis of the atonement. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Verse 38. Whoever makes any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from his people. See, the altar and the incense was to be holy to the Lord. There'd be no other use for it. Not for burning in your home. Not for wearing his perfume. God's design for this act of worship was only for those who had been atoned for in the sacrifice. 
So what was the meaning of this altar of incense? Was it just to make the tent smell good? Because that'd probably be a need, right? With, 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 a, with a priest, all the priests covered in blood all the time, sweating in the wilderness, hanging out. I mean, I grill for like 30 minutes and I'm a sweaty mess, right? These guys are hanging out over this fire day and night. So walking in, I'm sure, yeah, you need something to cover up the smell, but I don't think that's it. No, no, I think the holy and serious nature of God's decrees mean it's much more than just making the tent smell good. What, what we see is that the rest of Scripture actually tells us what this burning incense was all about. The rest of Scripture will interpret this for us as the writers of the Old and the New Testament will tell us what this incense is all about. And what we learn is this, that the act of worship at the altar of incense is the prayers of God's people. The act of worship at the altar of incense is the prayers of God's people. That's what's being lifted to him, that's sweet smelling to him, is the prayers of God's people. There, there are tons of passages throughout the scripture that talk about prayer. Uh, Phil Riken is really helpful here in pointing out just a, a few, three that we're going to look at today that help us see how the Bible interprets this burning incense. So if you want to flip over to Luke's gospel, chapter one, you can flip over to Luke's gospel or swipe over to Luke's gospel, chapter one, beginning with verse eight. This is a well-known story that we always cover usually around uh, Advent season, Zechariah. The father of John the Baptist, the guy who didn't believe that he, his wife was going to have a baby, so he was struck mute, remember? Well, he was a priest. And this all happened on the day it was his turn to go in and burn the incense before the Lord. Look at verse 8 of Luke chapter 1. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude, look at verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. He goes in and the people are praying. He's going in as a mediator of the prayers of the people. Are you with me on this? So as he goes in, the people are praying, and he's their mediator before the Lord. And then in verse 12, in Zechariah, sorry, verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That might freak anybody out. I love the way verse 12 says it here. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And this is what the angel says. Look at verse 13. Not only were the people praying, but Zechariah was praying. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. While the priest was inside burning incense, the people were praying, and the priest was praying. And this incense of prayer is being lifted to the Lord. If you flip over to Psalm 141, David, who was king and not a priest and couldn't go inside of the more permanent tabernacle, the temple, he wasn't allowed into the holy place because he wasn't a priest. He couldn't go in and burn incense before the Lord. This is what he says in Psalm 141, verse 1. He prays to the Lord that his prayers would be seen by God as incense, that they would be like the sacrifice of incense. Look at what he says in Psalm 141. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. He's praying here. Give ear to my voice. Listen to me when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Let what I pray be like the incense that rises before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David here, unable to actually physically burn the incense before the Lord, according to the law of God, says, my prayers are like incense to you. Make that be the case. 
So the prayers of God's people are this incense being lifted to the Lord. And then we have the, the fulfillment of all of this up in heaven, in the heavenly temple now, before God, in his holy temple in heaven, around his throne. This is what we read in Revelation chapter 5. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Before God, the prayers of the saints are being lifted up in these bowls of incense. Revelation 8 reiterates this, verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Does that sound familiar? On the golden altar before the throne. The prayers of God's people are lifting. And the smoke of the incense, it says in verse 4, with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the, from the hand of the angel. This altar of incense in the tabernacle was a reminder to the priests and to the people that their prayers were heard by Almighty God. That God hears their prayers because of the sacrifice of atonement. That their prayers were a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. And Scripture pictures our prayers as God's people the same way. That the prayers of the saints are a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. The prayers of believers are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. But how is that possible? How is it possible that we, a sinful people, we, a people who complain more than we believe, how is it possible that we, a people who would walk into church on a Sunday morning and walk out on a Sunday afternoon and do whatever we want and forget all about God for most of the week, how is it that we can be pleasing to God in our prayers? How is it that our prayers would be a sweet-smelling Aroma. How is it possible that these people of Israel, we read the Bible, we read the Old Testament. These people were, how can I say it nicely? Idiots. It's probably the nice word, right? Constantly in the presence of God and yet living as if he was nowhere near. And yet God accepts their prayers why did he accept their prayers? Well, look at verse 10 of Exodus 30. It'll tell you why he accepted their prayers. Aaron shall make atonement on the horns of this altar once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. What's happening on the day of atonement, when the high priest gets to go into the presence of God, what happens is this big sacrifice is made outside and the blood is carefully gathered up and taken inside the tent of meeting, inside the tabernacle. And some of that blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat and some of that blood is reserved for this altar of incense. Why? Because that altar is always going to be linked to the altar outside. Because you don't get to that altar unless atonement has been made. You don't get your sacrifice of praise and prayer to be pleasing to the Lord unless atonement has been made for your sins. Leviticus 16.16 16 tells us the same thing. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins... And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. This is a really profound point. The, the people were so unclean that it made the tabernacle unclean. The priests themselves were such sinners that it made the tabernacle unclean when they walked in. Unless 
unless sacrifice was made for them, unless atonement was made in their place. And the same is true today. We have to be covered by the blood of Jesus in order to come into the presence of God. Believers have access to God through prayer because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and no other way. We are linked to one sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And our confidence now is we can come before the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Phil Riken said the life of prayer depends on having a sacrifice for sin. You don't have a prayer life unless you have a savior. You don't have a prayer of being heard by God as your father unless you have Jesus as your savior. In this way, we can really say that while God hears every prayer of every person in some way, because God hears everything and knows the hearts and minds of every man, right? Every person, he only hears the prayers of those who have placed their faith in Jesus and his sacrifice. He only hears those as a father. That's why Jesus taught us to pray how? Our father who art in heaven. He hears us in a unique way. And this is good news. This is the good news of Jesus and how he fulfills the symbolism of this altar of incense. Because he's the reason. He's the way, the source, the fulfillment of our access to God through prayer. Jesus himself is the sacrifice on the bronze altar to atone for our sins. Jesus is the sacrifice that makes the way. First John 4 tells us, and this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to take the sin debt, to take the anger of God towards sin upon himself. Second Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus himself is the priest who entered the holy place on our behalf. He's our mediator. Hebrews 9.12 says he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, which would have been necessary to sprinkle onto the altar of incense, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus himself has opened the way for us to come to the Father in prayer. Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. We, we have access to God. We have access to God in prayer by abiding in Jesus. Jesus is the only access we have. And Jesus himself said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you hear and obey my word, if we trust him and live in him, we find him as our life. He is our very existence. If that is true, he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Pray. And God will hear and answer. We have access to God through prayer By faith, by believing that Jesus is the one who has paid the price for us and all the power, all the authority has been given to him. And so he hears us. He hears us. The father hears us because of Jesus. First John five says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Matthew 21, Jesus himself said, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you trust him. We have access to God. We have access to God through prayer 
in Jesus' name. This is why we pray in Jesus' name, because he's the basis, he's the reason, he's the purpose, and the mediator of our prayers. He is the only reason we can pray and be heard. John 14 says this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He even repeats it. To know, so that we know that we have no hope of being heard by the Father except through the Son. So because of Jesus, we don't need a priest to enter into the holy place for us. We have direct access to God in prayer. Believers, you have direct access to God in prayer. And I even think the nature of what we talked about with the altar of incense and how it's used tells us what our prayer life should be like. Because if you're like me, anything like me, you need help with your prayer life. Your prayer life is not what it should be, right? If you're anything like me, you know you could and you should pray more. So what would it look like for our prayer life to be, to line up with this imagery? This is what it would look like. We should come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. That we have access at all. We come to God saying, I'd have no hope of coming before you if it weren't for you. It's by his grace alone. We come in repentance, remembering that we are sinners, relying fully on God's grace. We come saying, it's only because of the atonement that I get to come before the Lord. We should come to God in prayer confidently, though, because Jesus did die and rise again. But we come to God sheepishly. We should come to him as our father. We don't come to him as a teacher, a boss, anyone like we come to him as our we get to pray to God as our father confidently because of the sacrifice of the son, knowing that the blood of Jesus has covered us, knowing that he hears those who are his people. We should come to God in prayer continually, just like in the tabernacle day and night. First Thessalonians five makes it really clear. Pray without ceasing. Anybody really good at that one? Right. Pray without ceasing. People are always asking me, what should I do to walk with the Lord? I'm like, have you tried praying without ceasing? They want something new. They want something newfangled. They want a new idea. But it's like, just obey what God's already said. We'll be pretty good. It's just we don't. I mean, this this week is a great opportunity to get started in 2021 with our week of prayer. We've given you a guide daily to walk through to begin praying what what if what if you use the the drive to work or the walk from your bedroom to the couch if you work at home right what what if you what if you use that time to pray what if what if you set apart a time to be praying and what if what if your life became about talking with the lord we should pray continually but we should also pray intentionally and without distraction we should pray intentionally without distraction when we come before the Lord, it's for this purpose. When they burnt incense, it was for this purpose, right? When they came, it was only for this purpose. There was a uniqueness to it. And our prayer life should be that way. Prayer shouldn't just be tossed up to God. We should be intentional about it. Jesus said to go into your secret closet. He himself would go off in private to pray. He would set apart time to pray. When we come before God to burn the incense of our prayers before him, our Aren't there just a lot of other things that seem to distract us or take priority? Things that would pull us away, crowding out this act of worship. We come uniquely to pray. Set apart the time intentionally to come without distraction. We should pray to God uniquely. Not only should we uniquely pray, like don't be distracted by other things. We should pray to him uniquely. 
trusting him only. This altar of incense was in the holy place, sanctified, set apart from the uncleanness of the world around it, reminding the people that God is their only hope. He's their only recourse. He's the only one they can go to. He's their only salvation, their only security. And oh, that we would remember this great truth. Because it is really easy, isn't it, to take the blessings of God without the responsibility of a relationship with him? To take the manna from heaven? I think so many of us as American Christians, those who call us ourselves believers in America may be guilty of this, that we take the provision of God without the responsibility of the relationship with God. We take his gracious provision and his providential care as if it's our right. And it's not. The only right before God we have apart from Jesus Christ is death. That's it. It's only by his mercy. It's only by his grace. It's only by his power. Is it possible that the problems in our world start with us? Is it possible, just possible, that the problems in our world is the church for too long has not done its job? Is it possible that repentance needs to start here? Remember the Ten Commandments when we spent like all summer doing that, right? And every time I'd say this, remember, this is supposed to be applied to us as God's people, not to everybody else. Like they're, they live as sinners. This is applied to us. See, the transformation and the change needs to start with us. Could it be that we have, we've taken the gracious provision of God and the providential care of God without humbling ourselves before him? What if God's people are trusting earthly strength? And if that's true, why would God bless us? Why would God move among us and through us if we're trusting in earthly strength? Is it possible that we may have run too quickly to other strongholds and saviors, raising our banner of faith on false flagpoles and, and that it's us who need the awakening? That we're the ones who need to be woken from this slumber? That we need to be reminded that the Lord is our portion, the Lord is our shield, the Lord is our strength, the Lord is God alone, the Lord alone can change the world, that posting it on your Facebook page does not make it true? And it doesn't mean you're living for it. Could it be that we need to be a people who stand for a culture of life? Why? Because God's actually giving us life. You're not going to stand for a culture of life and stand against a culture of death if you're not actually abiding in the only one who can give you life. We as God's people need to be the ones who are reminded that the Lord is God alone, that the Lord alone can change the world. The Lord alone can change hearts. The Lord alone can reverse a culture of death and bring a culture of life. And our calling, our calling in this world is to be a kingdom of priests before God, praying on behalf of the people. We're supposed to be the outsiders, calling people to faith in the Son of God. Folks, listen to me. Christians are wilderness dwellers. That's who we are. We're wilderness dwellers, longing and waiting for the promised land. We are not people who actually think we've already arrived in the promised land. But we're living like that. We're living like we think we've found the promised land, but we haven't. We're waiting for the promised land. But what we do have is the very presence of Almighty God with us as His people. 
We have access to Almighty God. We get to come before God in the middle of the wilderness. This year marks our 250th anniversary, and on the 25th of each month, we are going to be praying for our current earthly home, our wilderness, our place of exile. Is everybody with me on that? We're going to be praying for our place of exile, our nation. We're going to be praying for life to be seen as sacred, for our leaders to lead with wisdom and humility before God, for spiritual awakening in our churches and neighborhoods, for families to honor the Lord, for sin to be called sin and salvation to come to millions. And we want you to join us. We need to do this together because we are the people of God who live in the wilderness together. We have the great privilege of coming before the Lord in prayer all because of Jesus. So won't you join in? Won't you this afternoon get on your computer, sign up for a half hour, an hour, seven hours. I don't care. Sign up every month to pray. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up and close our service for us today as we sing. And we're going to actually spend this time in just a moment. Maybe you've been here today or you're listening online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You've never placed your faith in Jesus, who is the atoning sacrifice for sin, who took the penalty for your sins upon himself at the cross of Calvary, who defeated sin and death through his death and resurrection. If you've never called upon the name of Jesus to save you and to be your Lord and your treasure, then today, today you need to know this. If you don't have that atoning sacrifice of Jesus covering you, you need to hear this. God will hear your prayer of repentance and faith. He will hear every prayer you lift to him. But until you pray in repentance and faith to him, trusting Jesus, he's not hearing you as a loving father. He's hearing you as a king. He's not hearing you as a loving father. It's only through the atoning work of Jesus that you have access to God for him to be your father. And so your need is just like my need was when I was younger. It's to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You have no other need, no greater need right now than to call upon the name of the Lord. And our Jesus is strong to answer, and he's kind in his mercy. Believer, maybe today you have, you've forgotten that you have access by grace through faith in Jesus. You have access into the presence of the living God and to his mercy. See, maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've treated it too flippantly for too long. You have access to pray But how busy we become, right? How easy it is to get into other things and be distracted from the greatest earthly treasure that we have, access to the living God because of Jesus. That is it. That's the greatest treasure you have is access to the living God because of Jesus. So would you repent of that today? Would you call upon the name of the Lord that he would change you? And our Jesus is strong to answer and he's kind in his mercy towards his people. So maybe today you need to call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe today you need to repent of prayerlessness and commit to a life of prayer in 2021. Maybe, maybe today you, your heart is burdened and you need to, for the first time in a long time, come confidently before the Lord in prayer because of the blood of Jesus. As the band plays the first couple of verses of a song we've come to love around here, I want us to take that time. Just You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel. You can come to the front, whatever it may be, but spend this time praying, calling upon the name of the Lord, utilizing as believers the great gift that we have because of Jesus Christ. Starting by 
repenting of our own sins and our own prayerlessness and then praying for our nation, praying for your family, praying, just call out to God. And then you'll join in later on. Pray silently, pray out loud all together. Kneel, stand, sit, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But let's use this time to pray because our Jesus is strong and he is kind in his mercy. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you now we have confidence and we have access to you. Oh, that we would be faithful now and continually to rise with this sweet-smelling aroma in our prayers to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.